Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the REI Network podcast with me, Gavin Timms. I have an awesome guest I'm just going to bring on here shortly. Just before I do, if you are interested, a lot of you are reaching out, so I appreciate it. But if you are interested in working with me, I need you to go out and, and fill out a short application. Go to reinetwork.com slash join, reinetwork.com slash join. Fill that out. We'll get on the phone. If we're a good fit, we can move forward. And if not, no problem at all. So let me bring him over, a good friend of mine. Here he is, Mr. David hey. Dodge. How are you, bud? Hey, I'm doing good, Gavin. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, no, I appreciate you, uh, you know, coming on. I got, there's a few things that we want to talk about today, right? Ooh. I always call you, I, I just refer to you now as uh, the burr guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to talk a lot about that. But before we do, I just want to share with everyone, we're actually doing something pretty cool. Me, you, and Don Costa. We should probably all get on a podcast together, actually, uh, with Coffee with Closers. Every Wednesday at 12 Eastern, 11 Central, 9 Pacific, depending on uh, where you're listening from. Uh, make sure you go over, head over to, well, we can give you two things. Head over to the Facebook group. If you, if you type in, look for a Facebook group, Coffee with Closers Live, go and get in that Facebook group. Uh, again, me, Dave, and Don uh, go live every single Wednesday. We've been doing it now for about eight, nine, ten weeks. We also bring on some guests sometimes. And also, we have some uh, free giveaways. Dave, what's that link? Do you know? Coffeewithcloserslive.com. Oh, there we are. It's easy. easy as that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's been pretty awesome, hasn't it? You know, we've been doing it now eight, nine, ten weeks. We've had some guests on. Um, we've been getting a lot of traction with it. A lot of people just come on, have a drink of coffee with us and ask questions, right? Yeah, it's a lot of fun, guys. Come join us. Yeah, absolutely. So make sure you do that. But anyway, now we've covered that. Let's talk about, you know, Dave's base. Well, tell us, Dave, tell us a little bit about you, kind of your backstory, where you're at, where you're living, what are you doing? And then uh, I'm going to pepper you some questions regarding this burr. Yeah, you got it, man. So cut me off at any time. <clears throat> I can talk for for hours. So for the most part, Gavin, you know, you had mentioned, you know, I'm like kind of like the burr guy. Um, that's really what my my passion is. That's really what I've been specializing in for the last, oh, I don't know, maybe going on four years at this point. So yeah. uh, to take a, take a big leap back, guys, I've been investing in real estate since I was 20. I'm 36 years old today. So I've been in the game for 16 years. But but the first 10 years, Gavin, that I was investing, I did it the wrong way. And the reason that I that I say or think that I did it the wrong way was because it was slow. So what did I do for the first 10 years? I got loans and bought rental properties. So, you know, obviously it was still good that I was investing, but it was very slow. So over the 10 year period from the age of 20 to basically the age of 30, I acquired 10 rental properties. You know, like that's great by all means, yeah. not yeah. trying to discount that. But now I've bought 10 rental properties in the last 45 days, right? So I look at it like I've done it wrong or did it wrong because a couple of reasons. One, I was buying off the MLS. Um, when, I'm, when you're buying off the MLS, you're going through an agent and you're typically paying retail, right? 
And when you do that, when you pay retail and you go through an agent and you buy off the MLS, it's very difficult to get a deal. And in fact, I didn't even know that there was like deals. Like I didn't even know that they existed for these first 10 years. And the reason that it was so slow, Gavin, was because, you know, if I'm going to go out and buy a $150,000 property to rent out, the bank's going to give me 80% loan. But that means that I I need to have $30,000 of my own money to put up to get in to get in. And that's why I was only able to basically buy one a year, give or take. Yep. For that first 10 years, because saving $30,000 is it's difficult. It's difficult. I mean, unless unless you're making three or four hundred thousand dollars a year, which I wasn't in my 20s, it's difficult to save that kind of money. So skip forward, you know, the last uh, the last six years, give or take, I learned all about you know, deals and deal finding and motivated sellers and that people would, you know, trade their property for convenience. Yeah. And not necessarily trade it, but they would trade it at a discount. Yeah. For convenience. And long story short, Gavin, over the last, um, you know, six, seven years that I've been full time in this business, my business has averaged about 100 house purchases a year. And, you know, now we're, we're essentially buying, you know, eight to 10 houses a month on average. So if you're watching or you're listening, don't do what I did for 10 years. You can bypass that entire process, learn and know that there are people out there called motivated sellers and they have different reasons to be motivated. But you can find yeah. these people and you can work with them and you can create win win scenarios. And those win win scenarios, are helping them solve a problem and in exchange for you offering them convenience and, and being there to help them solve problems, they're they're willing to give you a big discount on the property. So why would that matter, right? Why would somebody want a big discount? And the reason is if you're using a strategy like the Burr strategy, which you had mentioned that I love doing, yeah, um, you don't have to put down $30,000 on a $150,000 property if you don't pay one hundred and fifty dollars for it. If you pay one hundred and ten dollars for a $150,000 property and you yeah. fix it up a little bit and then you go to the bank and they give you the same 80% loan, but all of a sudden you didn't pay what it's going to appraise for, you paid thirty dollars or $40,000 less. Now what happens is you're able to get positioned into that asset via a refi and you don't have to have any of your own money invested. Zero. Because you're gaining the equity, right? You're gaining the equity. So let's break it down then. So let's say, I think one thing that we, I mean, we agree on a lot of things, right? Oh, sure. Absolutely. we do, and but we do have different visions. We joke all the time on coffee with closers about mm-hmm. that, right? Like oh, yeah. you're trying to do 150 houses. I'm like, couldn't think of anything worse. <laughs> and we have this kind of joke with what you want and what I want and what Don wants and whatever. And I think that's unique because everyone's got their own path, right? But one thing we all are agreeing on is that they are finding discounted properties, right? Through marketing, right. Having, having direct access to sellers. And, you know, we teach we teach all about that. But let's say then with the Burr method. So if someone's listening to this and going, I've heard all about this Burr method. So what is it? How does it work? So we're having conversations. We obviously need equity. So are we borrowing private money to take them down to do the refi in six months? Like what, what is this? Fabulous question. Fabulous question. So let's just 
I'm going to get to that in just a second. So what is the Burr method, guys? Let's just start with the the basics, like the most basic. The Burr method is really just a strategy, all right? It's a strategy to put a couple key things in place to get to an outcome. And that outcome is really to refinance, okay? Yeah. So what is the Burr method? Of course, it's a strategy, but really Burr, B with four R's behind it, is really an, an acronym. So not only is it a strategy, but it's an acronym to describe or define the strategy. So the BRRRR, or BRRRR, again, it's B with four R's behind it, and it stands for this. B stands for buy. The first R stands for renovate or rehab. And I like to lean more towards renovate because typically when we're doing these, we're not going in and like gutting stuff out. It's mostly cosmetic type fixes. Now it's gonna depend, of course, but mostly cosmetic. So I like to use the word renovate. That's the first Mm -hmm. R. Yeah. The second R stands for rent. And that means just rent it out and get the property performing, right? A vacant property doesn't make you any money. You have to get it rented. So this is really a landlord business. This is not really a flipping business. This isn't a, a, a wholesaling business. It's a landlording business. Yeah. So the first R is for renovate. The second R is for rent. Yeah. The third R is for refinance. And again, that's really where we're trying to get when we're using this, this strategy. And then the yeah. fourth R is just kind of funny, but it just stands for repeat, right? It just stands yeah. for, hey, you did it. Do it again, right? Yeah. So really, in theory, it's just three R's. It's it's renovate, yeah. it's rent, and it's refinance. Now, you asked, how are you going about buying these? And that is a fabulous question because really, my partner, Mike, and I, we like to look at the strategy more as, instead of calling it Burr, we like to call it P-Burr, which sounds so stupid. But the reason is, is because you if you're not pre-qualified to get the refinance, you can get into a bind. Right. So really, the first thing you should do if you're looking to do the Burr method or use the Burr method as a strategy, you know, in your business and basically have that tool in your belt, guys, and anybody can do this. But the first thing you should do is you should go to the bank and you should ask them if you are qualified to buy a property. And if so, what you know, what will they give you? Basically, figure out if you're even eligible to go do a refi. If you're not this entire strategy won't work. It'll kind of fall apart. And that's okay. When I first started doing this, guys, the banks basically would say, hey, Dave, we'll give you a refi, but we need to see the property rented for six months. And that's called seasoning. So yeah. there's, you know, there's going to be some obstacles or some hurdles if you're brand new. Okay, so but let can, me just ask you a question on please? this. And I like this pre-birth. I think this is, is going to be the thumbnail for us. Okay? There you go. Um, I like it because people talk about the burr like everyone can do it, which they can, can which they can, but you're saying, but can you, can you be more prepared? Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to go and buy this thing and then go, I'm just going to refinance and then you can't get the financing, right? And then you're That's exactly right. So I like this. So when you do the the prequel, right, of of what will they lend on a portfolio, is that for your first time or your first one or two? For anyone listening, is that going against your personal name, or can you still get that on a, on a loan of like the LLC? How does oh, that work? Man, that's a fabulous question. So it doesn't really matter if you're if if you're trying to get a loan in your personal name, which I think you can do like ten or fifteen. I don't even know the the right laws. 
Uh, you can do some in your personal name, or you can do it in an LLC's name. Now, the kicker here, guys, it doesn't really matter which, which you know, direction you go. However, okay, however, you want to avoid working on working with banks or lenders or getting loans that balloon. That's kind of the trying to trying to think of the right verbiage. That's kind of like the the dagger in the heart of the Burr investor, right? Because yeah. the whole point of the Burr method is well, there's two things. One, it's to get yourself positioned into assets with little to no money. That's the cool part. That's the shiny part, right? Yeah. But the back end of this is to get yourself into those those particular assets with little to no money, but then get the tenants to pay them off. Okay. That's really the second part of the game. So, you know, whenever I'm able to go use this strategy, Gavin, and I'm able to go out and find myself a rental property that I can buy at a discount. First thing I do is I go to the bank and say, hey, do you guys have capacity to lend to me? And nine times out of 10, it's yes, but occasionally it's no. You know, the board of directors is is telling us to pull back on this type of loan right now, David. And that's fine. No problem. We're going to go to the next bank, right? We These are actually, local banks. These are local yeah, banks. All local Small. banks. Absolutely. Small. All local. Yeah. And we work with about five or six banks at any given time because occasionally the banks, even though we have a great reputation, great experience, great relationships, sometimes banks will have a different appetite to lend. And that appetite may not be to lend on what we're wanting to get a loan on. So we're constantly working with four or five different banks, keeping those relationships solid. That way, if we go to one bank and they say, hey, can't lend to you right now, no problem. Nothing comes to a screeching halt. We just go to the next bank. Now, you had asked a great question, Gavin. Local banks are the way to go. Reason is, is we like to get loans that we, that we refer to, and the most people will refer to them as portfolio loans. And if you're not aware of what a portfolio loan is, a portfolio loan is really just a loan that a bank makes to, to somebody that they don't plan on selling off on the secondary markets, right? It's essentially a loan that they're going to keep in-house and they're going to keep yeah. servicing that loan. And they essentially don't have any desire or intention of selling it off somewhere. So in order to, to get a loan that's, that's a portfolio loan that's most likely not going to get sold off, you have to go to your local banks. And I'm talking like banks that have, you know, maybe anywhere between, you know, two and three branches typically on the low side to maybe as many as 15 or 20 on the high side. The sweet yeah. spot's really like between five and 10, right? So yes. they're essentially local banks or they're small regional banks. But, you know, for the most part, we avoid Bank of America, US Bank, PNC, Chase. Because these are big national, essentially they're global banks. Yeah. And once they underwrite a loan and process it and give it to an individual, they don't even care anymore. And at, th at that point, they're like, hey, can we sell this loan and yeah. make three or 4,000 bucks? Let's yeah. do it. They have no intention of holding the loan. Yeah. So what we do is we look for the small banks that have the intention of holding those loans. And again, those are called the portfolio loans. Right now, the cool yeah. thing about the portfolio loans is they still have a, a a term essentially, right? So there's there's two things that you want to be aware of when you're working with a local bank getting a portfolio loan. One is the amortization term, and all of the loans that we get at this point, Gavin, are commercial loans. They're mm -hmm. twenty year 
uh, loans, right? And they have a yep. 20 year amortization table. However, so what does that word mean? What does that mean? That's a great question. So amortization is really a fancy word for ratio of the amount of the payment that goes towards paying the loan down, which we refer to as principal, yeah. versus the interest that the bank gets to take and keep as their profit, right? Yeah. And all loans, no matter if it's a commercial loan or a private loan or whatever, use what's called an amortization table. And banks get paid their interest the most in the beginning. So for just a super quick example, let's say that we go get a loan and it doesn't really matter the term of the loan. Let's say it's a 20 year term and, you know, month one, we have a thousand dollar payment. Well, you know, maybe only like 10 or $15 of that thousand is going to go to actually paying the loan down. It sounds yeah. kind of crazy, but you know, $990 is going to be interest month one. Yeah. And then and no, month and people, no, people do not understand this. Most people don't their, get this. In their mm -hmm. personal houses, because you think it's spread. You think it's spread over a 30-year or 20-year term, and it's even, but it isn't. So it Your is payment stays 30-year, but it's not even. That's the key. It's not even, and yeah. it will change accordingly. So yeah. that, again, it's heavy, it's front-loaded on the interest and people don't understand. And there's a reason why they do this, guys. The reason is, is because the average person that gets a loan holds the loan for seven and a half years. This is a nationwide statistic. So no matter if you have a 10-year term or a 20-year term or a 30-year term, there's even such things as 40-year terms, right? It doesn't really matter what term you have. The average person that goes out and gets a loan will either sell that property or refinance that term or that loan to a new loan on average in seven and a half years. So if you're the bank, let's just switch shoes for a second here, right? If you're the bank and the average loan you give out is gonna be paid back in seven and a half years, <clears throat> it doesn't make sense for you to say, okay, 50% of the payment's interest, 50% of the payment's principal. Yeah. Instead, yeah. what you do is you say, 99% of the payment is interest, day one, but when you're going and you're at the last day of the loan, right? So let's say you're doing a 30-year loan that's 360 payments. So payment one, it's essentially 99% interest. Well, on the flip side, the very last payment, 300, the, the 360th month is going to be 99% principal. So it, it's basically starts very, very top heavy with interest. And as the time goes on, it reduces. And it's basically just like a, like a rectangle. Think of a rectangle with a diagonal line going through it. Yeah, It's that simple. And the first part is going to be interest. And the second part is going to be principal. And every time a payment's made, a little bit less interest will be owed and a little bit more principal will be, will be paid or, or collected of that part. So yeah. that's kind of amortization in a nutshell, guys. But the amortization yeah. matters, right? We talked earlier, there's two things that we do with these, with these, you know, using the Burr method in these portfolio loans. Number one is we're able to get into them with little to no money. But number yeah. two is, is that we want our tenants to pay these off. So typically when you're dealing with these portfolio loans, here's the coolest part, Gavin. You know, even though we, we typically get a 20 year term on the amortization table, the yeah. loan will typically have either a three-year or a five-year rate lock. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try not to use the word term when I'm talking about the rate because it's not really a term. It's more of just a time frame, right, that yeah. says, hey, Dave, you know, or hey, Gavin, you know, we're going to give you this 20-year amortized loan. But for the first three years of this loan, you're going to have to pay, you know, 4.25%. And you're like, okay, great. 
So here's the beautiful thing about most of these portfolio loans. At the end of that three-year time frame that you end up paying, you know, 4.25%, what happens? This is the beautiful thing. The loan doesn't become due. It doesn't balloon. Instead, the bank says, hey, Dave, you're, or, or hey, Gavin, your three-year rate lock time frame is coming to an end. Would you like to renew? And you, of course, say, yes, I do want to renew. And they charge you 50 to 100 bucks to do basically a desk review of the property and you. And it doesn't take long, takes them a day or two. And it's literally 50 to 100 bucks. And then they say, okay, cool. We're going to give you another three years. Or if you want to buy yourself into five years, you're going to pay a little bit more in interest. But then you start basically with a new term for three more years. But the beautiful thing is, is you're not starting all over with that amortization. Now you're on year three of 20. So then you go through those three years and you do another renewal and you get another rate. But now you're starting on year six of 20. And essentially what's happening is you're not resetting that amortization. Because if you reset your amortization every three years, you go back to paying essentially 99% interest every time. So in theory, if you get to year 10 of a 20-year loan, in theory, it doesn't work this way exactly, but it's really close. 50% of your payments interest, 50% of your payments principal. So the goal is to use the amortization as your friend. Know it, understand it, and not go out and, and constantly refinance these loans because when you refinance a loan, you're essentially starting over. And it's really hard, almost impossible, unless you have 150 years to pay a loan off when you're constantly starting over on that yeah. amortization table. And that's really the key, Gavin. Great question. No, that's, that's really good. No, yeah. that's really good. So when you do that, so it doesn't reset. So that makes sense every three years. But with obviously how real estate is, how mortgages are, how interest rates can can change and fluctuate, is anyone going to worry with all of a sudden you could be, you know, the interest rate could be at 7% now. It could go up massively because it is not a fixed rate for a long time like a personal loan would be. Great question. Right. That's a so great is that a, is that a worry for you if you have 50 doors? It's not. It's not. And here's why. We when we go out and we do a burr method type of deal, all right? There's a couple things that we're doing. So really it's it's P-Burr, right? Let's talk about that for just a second. It's yeah. pre-approved. It's make sure that we can refinance. We don't want to buy something, renovate it and spend 15 or 20,000 dollars fixing it up. And then go out and get it rented and then and then not be able to refinance. Reason is, is we're buying these. And you asked this question earlier and I skipped over it. We're buying these with private funds that we're getting from a private lender or a hard money lender. Yeah. So that what does that mean? That means that whenever we go buy a property, we're essentially borrowing money, not only to buy it, but to also fix it up. And we're paying anywhere from 10 to 14% on that money. That's expensive. Yep. But the goal is, is to only borrow that money for two or three months. Yep. And in some cases, four or six months, if the bank that we're working with does require seasoning, which mm -hmm. basically means that you've got it rented out for a few months before you before they allow you to refi. So we're borrowing this money at a 10 or a 12 or a 14% rate. And when we do that, we've already got a bank essentially saying, hey, we're going to lend to you. They don't even typically know the property or the address or any of that. It's more of just an email or a call to just say, hey, what's your guys' appetite for lending? I got a couple more rentals in my pipeline. I'd love to have you guys 
be the lender. And here's the thing, people don't really get this, but it's so simple. But like a bank doesn't make money when you deposit money into an account. They don't make money. In fact, that is a liability to them because they owe you money. Think of it that way. It's when you deposit money into a bank, it may be an asset on your balance sheet, but it's a liability on their balance sheet. So how does a bank turn deposits into checking accounts and savings accounts into assets? They do so by lending it out. So banks love to lend money. In fact, it's the only way they make money is yeah. by lending it. So banks love to lend money. And it's very, mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty rare that a bank says, hey, we don't have the appetite right now, but it happens. And that's why I say, don't just go build a relationship with one bank because maybe you get to 30 or 40 loans and they say, hey, we don't wanna be too leveraged with you. Happens all the time. So that's why it's always a really good idea to have a couple, two or three at a minimum that you're working with because then if one of them says, hey, you know, we've gotten too many loans with you, if your business falls apart, we're really gonna have some risk there. You know, you can spread that out over, over a couple different loans. Great okay, question. So, so when, because you said that you, if you borrow private or you borrow hard to buy these, right? Because obviously you have to buy it with yep. cash and then you have to do the rehab, then you're going to refinance. Now, as a standard loan for most people listening to this is six months, right? Before you can refi, you have to own it for six months. Yeah, that's because called seasoning. Seasoning. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but because you have done so many or got so many built relationships with the bank, is there a wiggle room to do it in three months? Oh man, that's the, that is that is the best question yet. And here's why. Guys, this business is a relationship business. Yeah. When you're dealing with a bank, it is a relationship business. Now, your experience also matters. Let's be honest. If you're if this is your first time, they're gonna put seasoning into place to limit and mitigate their own risk, okay? Now, I've been at this for, I don't know, four years, let's just say, give or take. And in fact, Gavin, we've done over 100 Burr method transactions where we've essentially yeah. bought with harder private money. We've, whenever we buy, Gavin, we, we borrow usually an additional 15,000 or maybe even 20,000. So let's say that we find a property that, you know, is worth 100 or 110 today. We're going to go pick that up at 80. All right, yep. but we're actually going to borrow a hundred, right? Because we want to buy it at a discount, yep. which is very important, but then we have to fix it up. So that's, that's a really key part that I think we kind of skipped over is typically when you walk into a bank and you say, Hey, Mr. Banker, I want to get a loan or I want to get a refinance. Typically what they're going to do is they're going to say, okay, we're going to give you an 80%. It might not even be 80%. It could be 70, could be 75, but for sake of simple conversation, we're going to just go with 80. They're going to say, we're going to give you an 80% loan to, you know, based upon how much you're going to, you know, have in the deal. So think yeah. about my first 10 years. I wasn't renovating. I wasn't refinancing. I was buying and renting. So I was only doing part of the whole strategy here. Well, in that scenario, and let's say I wanted to go buy a $150,000 property. That was the purchase price. So a bank's going to say, hey, we're going to give you 80%, period. There's no way around that. So if I want that asset, I have to come up with 20%. And in this scenario, that's $30,000. So the beautiful thing about the Burr method, A, I'm buying at a discount now. I wasn't doing that before. So not only am I, am I building in equity and reducing, I like to look at it more like I'm reducing my risk when I buy at a discount from the get-go, but I'm also 
Now, adding value by doing that renovation. And this is what's called as, this is what most people don't talk about, Gavin. This is kind of the secret sauce, but it's actually referred to in the banker's eyes as what we, is what they call as the entrepreneurial credit. And the entrepreneurial credit basically states that if you buy a property and you fix that property up, and there are minimum thresholds, like most of our banks want to see at least fifteen dollars to $18,000 in repairs. Can you get away with doing less? Of course, but typically they want to see a substantial amount of rehab done. Now, if you do this substantial amount of rehab, this is the coolest part. Instead of the bank saying, hey, we're going to give you 80% of the purchase price, they instead say, hey, we're going to give you 80% of what it appraises for. And that's where buying at a discount really comes in handy. So let's run through a quick example. Before the Burr method, I wanted to buy a $150,000 house and I paid $150,000 for it essentially. I didn't have all that money. The bank says, hey, we'll give you 80% loan. That's $120,000. I had to come up with 30 grand. There's no way around it. It's just the way it works. Similar scenario. Now, let's say that I find a property with an ARV of 150, but I'm not paying 150. I'm paying, let's say, 100 for it, but it needs. 20 grand worth of work. So I go to my lender and I borrow a hundred and the 20, I borrow 120. Yeah. I then go to the, to the seller and I say, let's get this done. I'll pay you a hundred for it. We're going to solve some problems. It's going to be a win-win. They know they're giving me a discount, but I know that I'm going to help them at, at, in return. So I purchased it for a hundred. I put that 120 in, right? I get it rented. And then now the bank, and I go to the bank and say, hey, I need to get a refinance on this. It's not a loan anymore. It's a refinance. It's still a loan. That's the wrong verbiage. But it's not me going and applying. A new loan. It's filling out applications for a new loan. So that's another thing. The bank also looks at these products as, well, hell, somebody else already risked their money on this deal. We're not starting over at this point. We're just paying off somebody else that already took risk. So for whatever reason. You own it, don't you? That's why the refi. You own it. Loan because you own the property. Yeah. So the title doesn't transfer on the refi. It's just who's the lender. That's the only thing that changes. But this entrepreneurial credit is the key because instead of them saying, how much do you have invested, Dave, which the answer would be 120, instead of them saying, okay, we're going to give you 80% of that 120, what they do, Gavin, is amazing. They say, let's send an appraiser over. And that appraiser is going to most likely appraise that particular property at 150. Again, this is a scenario. And then they say, Dave, cool, we're going to give you an 80% loan on this 150, not on this 120 that you have in it. So now I'm into it for 120. They're going to give me a loan for 150, but 80% of it. What does that equal? That equals 120. So that 30 grand that I would have usually had to have brought to the table, the bank is going to allow me to use my existing equity, which which I was able to build in two ways. One, buying at a discount. Very, very, very important. And two, in order for them to even look at the appraisal and not the actual hard costs, you have to put in, you know, that minimum rehab amount and every bank's going to be a little different. So don't run away saying, oh, I got to put 15 to 18 grand. First, find the bank, figure out what they need from you in in terms of rehab to qualify for that entrepreneurial credit. And the entrepreneurial credit isn't like a box that's checked or anything like that. 
It's really just internal bank talk or verbiage that the bank uses to say, hey, we've, we've mitigated our risk here. These guys have put a new roof on, new HVAC, they painted it, they cleaned it. So in the event that they stop paying us, it's going to be easy for us to get our money back. I mean, just put yeah. yourself in the bank's shoes. Yeah, and I guess on this scenario, let me just check. Yeah, we've got a couple of minutes. I've got another call. But real quick, I guess what you could do as well is you could actually, when you do the refi, if you get it low enough, you actually make money, right? So not only will you break even, sometimes you're making 10 grand up on the front of this if you want. Yeah, so our goal isn't to walk with money, but it happens sometimes. Yeah, right? yeah. So I think the most we've walked with is maybe 10 or 12,000 on a yeah. property. But what we typically do, and the banks really appreciate this too, Gavin, is let's say that we're going to, to use the Burr method, which we do weekly almost. And we have a property that's worth, that appraises for 160. Similar scenario, instead of 150, it appraises for 160. And we're all into it for 120. You know, they'll essentially say, well, we'll give you a loan, you know, for you know, more than 150. And we could essentially walk with money. So what we typically do is just say, no, we only need the, the money to pay back what we've borrowed. So just reduce our loan amount, which basically reduces the percentage that they're lending. And they love that because they're like, oh my God, you know, we don't want to see you walk with money. The bank's goal isn't for you to make money. The bank's goal is, is to just move risk around. Yeah. Somebody else already took some risk on this. Why, yeah. why wouldn't we? Let's pay off this other lender and let's get all that interest coming to us versus some third party. So what we'll do in that scenario is we'll typically say, hey, we don't need a full 80% loan. We may only need a 78% loan or whatever that may be. Yeah. But in some scenarios, like you said, Gavin, some scenarios, we will actually walk away. Now, when we walk away, you have to think what we're actually doing. We've bought the property at a discount. We've borrowed additional money to fix it up. And the average rehab that we do, even though the minimum threshold's like 15 to 18K, it's typically a little bit over 20. I'd say our average rehab is probably 21 to 22,000. So we make sure that we're over that threshold. So we'll borrow yeah. the purchase, we'll borrow the rehab, we'll renovate that property. Yeah. And then we'll get it leased. And then because I have, and I think I skipped over this question, but because I have such good relationships with my bankers, yeah. as well as good experience, meaning that I, I do this all the time, they typically, you know, won't have a big issue lending. And as long as they can see that we put in that, you know, 15 to 18 grand, they give us that entrepreneurial credit and then they yeah. just send out an appraiser. They don't ever ask how much did I buy it for? Uh, they will ask how much we stuck into the rehab because that's very important, important. right? Yeah, make sure but what we bought it in. for is, is all of a sudden kind of irrelevant in the yeah. bank size. They just want to see that, you know, Again, if I quit paying, are they going to be able to sell this asset and get their money back? Not even make a profit, but also not lose money. Are they going to be able to get their money back? And basically what we're doing, guys, is we're using the 20% equity that we are basically either earning by fixing the property up or by buying at a discount. And we're allowed, legally, we're allowed to use that equity as part of the skin in the game or the down payment. Yeah. Whereas if you don't renovate and rent and go through the process the proper way, the bank's going to say, how much is the purchase price? Here's 80% of that number. Good luck. So you're yeah. always, no matter what, going to have to have skin in the game. But if you yeah. follow the Burr method and you do it properly, you can acquire assets with little to no money. So in the beginning, oh, in the beginning, we had seasoning, Gavin, six months, and yeah. it probably took us 
six months to a year to get them to reduce the seasoning from six months to three months. Yeah. And then it probably took us another year of doing deals and building that relationship with the bank to go from three months to one to two months. Yeah. And now if we send them a lease, they say, when do you want to close? So it's one of these things where the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. Like, like anything. Like yeah. most things in life. Yeah. But also the more you do it, the more leeway the bank will give you because you've essentially built trust with them. Yeah. So trust in relationships is really massive when it comes awesome. to using this strategy. Well, that's awesome. You know, I appreciate you coming on. You know, I think we could talk, you know, all day. But I think that what's been good about this episode is we broke it down so people can actually follow and actional plan here to actually do this right and understand yep. they've got to buy private money or hard money they've got to take it down they need it for six months they've got to get pre-qualified to be able to get in these loans follow these steps to go and get your first rental property with no money out of pocket you just have to get the right pieces in place so david dodge i appreciate you joining how do people reach out to you or follow you how do people do that if they want to reach out if they want to follow you on social What's the best way? Yeah, definitely, Gavin. I appreciate it, man. So Instagram is probably my favorite social media at this point. My handle is my full name. It's David Allen, A-L-A-N, Dodge. So David Allen Dodge is my handle on my Instagram. And the only other thing, Gavin, is I wrote a book on this. It's it's literally called The Burr Method. And you guys can find that book on Amazon and Audible. So if you're interested in learning more about, you know, some of the fine details or basically how we were able to do a hundred of these, we've documented it in our book, my partner Mike and I, and explained it for anybody to be able to take that knowledge and go do this themselves. Awesome. Cool deal. Well, look, I appreciate it. And guys, thank you for listening. If you are watching us, make sure you like and subscribe to the show and we will see you on the next one. Dave, appreciate you. Thanks, bud. Thanks for having me. All right.